0: 2024 is a critically important moment for the West to redefine its place in its own world order. Hundreds of business leaders, dozens of heads of state and financial institutions and numerous ministers came together at the World Economic Forum at Davos to brainstorm global recovery. While peace talks for Ukraine were attended by more than 80 countries including India, Key principles for just and lasting peace in the war-ridden country still seem far from actualization. Europe's situation doesn't look as promising as the EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen's speech at Davos. Her upbeat tone seemed contrived as she called for rebuilding trust amid growing fractures within the global response to the unrelenting state of permanent crisis, also called the Perma Crisis. Her talks on commitment to climate and transparent AI seemed convoluted as fiscal austerity has engulfed the bloc. The rise of right-wing Euroscepticism has also raised existential questions about its unity. Conspicuously, the World Economic Forum, a platform considered the mecca of globalization and trade, has had most of its sessions devoted to security this year. Not just economic security, but also hard or military security. The most pressing questions have been about Ukraine and Israel. As per the discussions at Davos, and especially in the case of Ukraine, the stalemate considered the least satisfying outcome until last year seems to have become the preferred outcome this year. It shows that war fatigue has permeated all walks of international discussion. As ongoing wars stretch longer and new conflicts sprout, the crisis in the Western order only deepens, with the apprehensions to tackle it becoming denser. To set the record straight, the crisis in the Western order does not have material vectors only. The West, especially the US, is still the preeminent military power in the world. The collective West is also undoubtedly the global powerhouse of technology and innovation, and the dollar is and will continue to be the world's reserve currency for the foreseeable future. The bigger problems for the West are all stemming from inward maladies and not from its outward capabilities to shape the behavior of other actors. So what are these maladies within the US-led Western order? As historian Neil Ferguson has wisely identified, there does exist an overarching disjunct in American leadership, regardless of who the president is. The disjunct emerges because there is a reluctance to get too involved in faraway problems, whether it's Ukraine, Israel or Taiwan, but also an inability to walk away from them. The fundamental international character of the U.S. is standing on globalism and isolationism, two legs that propel to stride it in diametrically opposite directions. As long as these opposing views remain the very foundations of American political mainstream, there will be periodic unreliability of the U.S.-led order. From which, ironically, from Woodrow Wilson to Donald Trump, the country itself has been often the first to withdraw. It is true that one of the reasons for the forever wars uh, that the US seems to get into perpetuate is impinging upon this inward clash in the American leadership that results in disoriented response to crises. The spending starts as a crisis response because the U.S. feels obligated as the preeminent power and keeper of stability among nations. But because its half-hearted actions are not suitable enough to solve it, the spending becomes endless and so does the national debt. Therefore, you have in America caught in what I call a crisis quadrilateral a situation where the problem is neither solved nor another averted. And on the other hand, domestic voters' appetite to support these forever wars only diminishes and the majority of the global populace, the middle order pack, loses trust in the American leadership. Quite explains what is happening today. That said, Donald Trump, if he wins, will inherit a different world this time. The deafness with which Trump argued to get the boys back home and shifted U.S. attention from CENTCOM, the U.S. Central Command, to PACOM, U.S. Pacific Command, which he later named as the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command. All of that derived from successful Abraham Accords that started the normalization of ties in the Middle East. His rhetoric to withdraw from NATO came from twofold smugness of the peace dividend that descended to the European Union. One, the Europe-Russia energy synergy and two, the Europe-China trade synergy. None of that exists today as it did before. Perhaps there is no getting back to the normal the West was accustomed to. So there has to be a collective pursuit of finding a new equilibrium for the world. Trump, if he were to return, would find himself in a radically different security environment than he had inherited, which would make isolationism more difficult and costly, regardless of his isolationist rhetoric. But what about Europe? Is Europe's pursuit of security delusional? No amount of tonal confidence exhibited by von der Leyen and others will substitute for the fact that Europe needs to not just act but also deliver on the strong probability of a Trump comeback. It is only fair to mention that there is markedly significant progress as several European countries have started tapping into their defence industry capabilities. And counterintuitive as it may sound because of economic troubles, it is not the UK or France, but Germany that has emerged as Ukraine's second largest military provider after the US. However, even if Biden closes the southern borders in a quid pro quo with Republicans to get them to support the aid package for Ukraine, this will perhaps be the last multi billion military aid package from Biden until the elections. EU's aid package will come. Hungary and all can be managed. But it is the bloc's limitations of ratcheting up ammunition support for Ukraine that doesn't really seem to have a panacea, which is a solution. Therefore, if at all Europe has to apply its efforts according to logic and not atrophy, the bloc, along with the UK, will have to coordinate the supply of 155 ammunition shells and long-range weapons like the Taurus and Scalp missiles, along with F-16s and perhaps a few more Patriot air defenses and Bradleys, etc., to defend Ukraine while helping it to isolate Crimea. It is this basic combination and coordination of military capabilities from Europe that will provide any closure to the West's support to Ukraine. Otherwise, the two years of repetitive semantic sentimentality of helping Ukraine as long as it takes would get nowhere. By closure, I mean ability of Europe to bring Russia to the negotiating table and not the other way around. Anything less than this might endlessly prolong the war, providing ample space and opportunity to Russia for gaining more territory down south, eventually making it harder for Ukraine to liberate its territories. At such a time, with no US to send military aid in a jiffy, looms the worst possible outcome for Europe, a Ukrainian partition and defeat. Russia, despite its depleted fleets and all other economic problems, has been able to run a war economy and mobilise significantly huge numbers of troops. No matter how depleted as a country, Russia's win in Ukraine will vindicate its special military operation and etch in stone Europe's incompetence to protect itself. But where is the global south in all this? Is it really that unaffected? As the Western liberal order struggles to cope with its internal discrepancies, the emerging economies of the global south can't rejoice either. Favorable economic multipolarity goes together with global stability and freedom of navigation. Experiences in the Red Sea have yet again shown the fragility of global supply routes for everyone, including for India. Therefore, Without a stable security order, the so-called Global South does not have any real solutions to offer either. Restless consequential hedging amid heightened global uncertainty robs them of coherent foreign policy synergies, all in a spiral because there is just so much uncertainty around. As much as the developing countries need investment, enabling frameworks and space to co-develop norms around emerging tech, They also need the endurance of supply chains and freedom of navigation that they alone cannot guarantee. The year 2024 will be one of global vox populi, which is the Latin phrase uh, that means voice of the people. Half of the world's population, a whopping 4 billion people, will be going to vote. Key elections across Western societies will shape and coordinate their international responses the foremost challenge for them should be to fix the internal maladies of the liberal order. That, perhaps, is how the trust deficit can be restored from north to south for a meaningful global response to the era of Burma crisis. So, whether the West is able to resolve and manage its maladies and emerge stronger or will its internal fissures and lack of commitments worsen its place in the world order is something that time will unravel. I will be back to discuss that and more, stay tuned.